Hello, my name is David Turner and this is another Lunar Poetry Short. Today I am still in Istanbul, but fantastically in Asia. I can't get my head around it. But I'm joined by writer Ender Baskan. Hello, Ender. Hey. Hey. <laughs> We're going to start with a reading from Ender as, well, by way of introduction. By the road there was a watermelon store. By watermelon store, I mean you could only buy watermelons, hundreds of them piled up waiting. Some were round, some were long, some were dark green, others were light green, some were seedless, others were seeded. I pictured deliveries arriving each morning like a truck full of soil or sand. Melons would pour out the back door from a tray elevated hydraulically. The man who now sat on a chair dozing off must have stacked the whole lot before knocking down a few himself. He looked like he had one in his belly. The neighbourhood was quiet, no one was bothering me, so I stood before the melons and wondered if I could fulfil a wild urge to leap onto them, throw myself amongst them, caress them. There was something ripe, sensual, holy about these melons, as if they held the qualities that breasts, shoulders, asses, and all of human flesh could. I don't know how long I stood there for, but finally I chose one, none in particular really, picking it up gently, holding it in my arms, almost stroking it. Karpuz! The man yelled out. Karpuz, Evet, yes. I said and paid for it, wondering what I'd do with it. I wandered off track with the melon in my arms and into the suburbs. The streets were empty, but for neatly tied plastic bags full of rubbish, I threw my gaze up. The apartments here were typical of 70s or 80s architecture, probably 80s, the windows relatively small but still white panelled and rectangular, though after more thought maybe they were built in the 90s. Culture and technology, as far as I knew of the Turkey back then, took a few years to travel from the West. In Turkey the 60s was 70s, 70s was 80s or maybe 90s and probably so on. Though I now can't tell if this idea still holds, the 80s and 90s in Turkey were completely foreign to me. The fraying cord had been cut. Many of these apartment blocks had mosaic facades with geometric tile patterns. Even the security bars over the windows on lower levels had a gentleness about them, ornate and seductive rather than intimidatory. Politely reminding would-be intruders not to attempt forcible entry. There was a playfulness here that was completely absent in new joyless developments around town, around the world. I wanted to seek out the architects, line them up, shake their hands. Over time though, as far as I could tell, the windows in newly built apartments had gotten smaller and smaller and for that I should line them up, developers, builders, whoever else, and give them a bullet. Contemporary architects escaping with a stern word. Why smaller windows? Why? Something about cooling, heating costs, perhaps glass costs, vague allusions to sustainability. But those with money in courtyards have rooftop decks and floor-to-ceiling glass. People have forgotten how to use blankets. If I had power like Ataturk had had power, I could decree a blanket law. Blankets for everyone, big windows. The sun is a giant life-giving ball of flame. Let it charge through the walls and onto our faces. Now it, was as if, is it, now it was as if these new apartments were designed to make you forget the outside, that nature was inferior to what we could create indoors. Thanks, man. Cheers. Okay. Uh, so, Ender, hello. Hi. And what the fuck are you doing in Istanbul? <laughs> I, I am... They sent me here. Yeah. Yeah. They did. Yeah. yeah, I've been telling people I'm doing my military service. <laughs> cool. Yeah, so no one bothers me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Um, so you've been uh, at Mau Mau, the uh, residency program. I should, I, I suppose, reintroduce that because people may not have heard the uh, the short podcast I did uh, about Mau Mau. So that's an artist in residency program, which includes a writers program also. And you've been you were part of that, weren't you? You're not yes. at the moment as we speak, but yeah, how was that? It was great. Yeah. It was unreal. I kind of just landed in Istanbul and went straight to Mau Mau and mm. had three weeks there yeah. with some uh, really interesting, lovely writers and artists. Yeah. And uh, and then I escaped. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. you're just permanently on the run. Yeah. Now yeah, I'm so we were in a secret yeah. uh, location. Yeah. Well yeah. <laughs> Bolted doors and windows. And uh, yeah. And you are from Australia. Australia. And whereabouts? Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, a bit of context there. And that's obviously a lie anyway, because you're on the run, so you wouldn't give away your true yes. identity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, uh, after or during or, and after the three weeks at Mau did, did you work towards any specific outcomes for that program, or was it just a... Uh, not general, really. No? Uh, I was just um, here writing a novel, completing yeah. a novel, so I, I just used those three weeks as a chance to ground myself here and mm. meet a whole bunch of nice people and uh, and try to become part of some community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did that... Were you seeking to become part of a community or did it just happen? Uh, well, I think I was definitely open to it and seeking it because uh, when you... I'm going to be here for perhaps up to a year, maybe more. I'm not yeah. sure when I'll leave. So uh, I guess you want to meet people with similar ideas and are mm. interested in similar things. Yeah, it yeah. seems, I mean, Mama was talking before about how um, it seems like a hub uh, and it's a great place to, you know, if you want to come here for creative projects, whether they're um, sort of, uh, whether you're just working on, on on your own or collaborative, it seems mm-hmm. like a great place to start and meet people. It is. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I've been dropped right into the middle of it and everyone, yeah. not just at Mau Mau, but everyone else um, in, that, in that community that creative or artistic community um, has been very open and welcoming so yeah. it's it's lovely yeah I mean like I went to one opening exhibition opening and I got like 12 new Facebook friends it's amazing but <laughs> unfortunately today because uh, all social media has been shut down in Turkey I, don't, I can't make sure they're still my friends so I don't know they may have uh, they may have dropped me but, yeah. uh, maybe they're all government spies they might be yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a good job <laughs> I can't log on to Facebook because they definitely get us today um yeah, maybe we'll go for a second reading and move on to uh, talking about the main body of work that you're working on while you're here. Okay. It was a quiet street and I just stood there facing its blue and white tiles. A man thrust his head from a second floor window and called out, Hey, what are you doing here? It came as a jolt. I kind of reared back. Uh, just uh, appreciate the building, that's all. What are you doing with that watermelon? I could see right up his nostrils. They were flared wide because his face was all scrunched up. Oh yeah, uh, the watermelon. I th- I'm probably going to eat it, actually. The whole thing? I'll probably share it. You want some? No, I don't want any. What are you doing here anyway? Can't I just look around, appreciate your building? Are you a student or something? Yeah, I am, actually. What do you study? Architecture? Uh, n- no. Well, what do you study then, huh? I thought for a second. Seismology. Seismology? What's that? Rumbling in the earth. Earthquakes. Earthquakes, huh? You don't say. His eyebrows raised a little. Yeah, and I, uh, I think you're in good shape if something happens, I said. 
Really? Yeah, uh, I think so. Do you know that there's a 62% chance of a devastating earthquake over the next 30 years in Istanbul? Touch wood, it'll never happen, but it's just what I'm saying. I disarmed him and now he's pondering something as he leaned back into his apartment as if to survey its structural integrity. So what's this about the building that interests you, he said. Well, you know, I could go on for hours, actually. Hours? Really? Tell me something. Well, if there was one thing I'd like to point out, perhaps it's the tiles on the facade. The tiles? You're kidding, right? Yeah, I mean, you'd think they were purely decorative, but they're actually able to limit structural trauma. It's kind of like this watermelon. You really need the skin. Ah, come on. You think I'm an idiot? Get out of here, will you? Vegetables, fruits. We're looking for nature in the sciences. He shut his window, vanished back inside. Cheers, man. Um, yeah, so maybe it'd be a good time to talk about the novel that you're here to complete and how that came about, because you told me before that it relates to a previous trip to... Yeah, also, yeah. Um, about that. Uh, I came here, I came to Istanbul two years ago, almost two years ago now, um, as a kind of reconciliation with Turkey. My parents are born in Turkey and left as kids. And I'd been, I'd been here once before with my mum, but I was quite a lot younger and it didn't really sink in. It was all a blur. And um, so I kind of came here for about six weeks uh, alone and just wanted to kind of do that, go back to your roots thing. Uh, and um, I found myself kind of parachuted right into the middle of the protests that were here, the Gezi protests, and um, it was an interesting time. Mm. And as a as a writer, you just want to write about it. Yeah, um, would you be able to tell us a bit about those protests? Because um, it's amazing how often that topic come, has come up when I've been talking to artists over here. It seems um, a huge event for mm-hmm. people, but um, I don't. I'm not going to pretend I know enough about it to explain it, but if you could just tell us, I don't know, briefly what what happened, briefly what it was about. Uh, Well, it's it's quite interesting because I think everyone has a different, everyone has a different take on it. Um, I have my own, which I kind of explore within my book, but um, I, uh, I mean, I think it was there was a building up of pressure over a long period of time, pressure in a kind of restlessness and discontent with uh, the government and the way of uh, the way of the government over many years and it kind of all came to a head about this uh, in the park I guess Um, and uh, I think ultimately what it meant was that people from all walks of life who perhaps didn't consider themselves uh, ever to be on the same side as another person locked arms and Mm. um, roamed the streets and you know, voiced their concerns and and stood up for one another. And I think to be here during that time, it was something that I'd never experienced and never th- that I never thought I'd experience in Australia anyway. So um, I asked myself a lot of questions about my own political involvement and uh, my own way of life, and um, it was a really invig- like a a lot of vitality going yeah. in Istanbul and the ripples from that are still being felt today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the the novel, at what stage are you at? Are you, are you sort of working towards a, a very definite goal with it or is it still developing? 
Well, I've I've done a lot of writing. Um, I just need to give it some shape. I yeah. think there's a lot of raw material there. It's as if I'm a kind of ceramicist and I've uh, materialized a whole block of clay, and now I need to make it into something. Yeah. So I've 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 got a lot. I've got a lot of things that I want to say. It's actually, I mean, in terms of of what kind of novel, I think it's it's part reportage, part memoir, part mm. autobiography, part um, uh, criticism and essay. It's a kind of vessel. And is, for and all is my... it? Uh, it I'm trying to say it, is the sub, is Istanbul the subject matter, or is, or is Istanbul the backdrop? It's the, uh, both, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's hard to. No, no, it's, it's, no, it's interesting because I was speaking yeah. to uh, yesterday. I recorded a feature podcast with mm-hmm. um, some poets that regularly regularly mm-hmm. attend spoken word Istanbul, and we were mm-hmm. talking about this idea of feeling initially like Istanbul might be your muse, mm-hmm. but suddenly realizing it's sort of the other way around. It's not very balanced, you know. It's, <laughs> it's sort of unfairly balanced in the favor of the city. The city that sort of does what it wants, and you can't purely use it as a backdrop, perhaps because mm-hmm. it's too influential. Mm-hmm. especially if you're living here I mean I've only been here for a few days and you it's um, oppressive and beautiful mm-hmm. and amazing and uh, horrible all at mm-hmm. once and uh, it can't I, I deliberately ask the very simple question yeah. about it then because it mm-hmm. can't really be answered in that way but it's yeah. uh, um, but I suppose you, you maybe I'm wrong but it seems like you do need to talk about it in simplistic terms when you're talking about themes for novels and, and such yeah. in order to to sell the idea to people, you know, yeah, and obviously the writing will be much more complex. But to explain mm-hmm. the thing to people, yeah, thing. but I don't know. It's very difficult to explain Istanbul to people. Never mind artwork that's based on it. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I've, I, I think I try over and over to explain Istanbul, and I do explain it over and over to people. And each time it's different. Yeah. And each time it's wrong. And. Um, uh, it's a very restless place, mm. and that's that's good in many ways. And how has the city influenced the development of the writing? Uh, well, I think Istanbul's a city which now you could no longer stand still in, and this is partly what Gezi was about. Mm. It's that they were clearing more and more public space and trying to convert it to private space. Mm. Uh, and so everything now... You know, you hear people talking about traffic in Istanbul and it's the bane of everyone's existence, but I think the traffic is good. It slows everyone down. Mm. You can't, a city is not just a traffic network in order to get indoors into yeah, malls yeah, and yeah, offices yeah. and homes. Um, you need to be able to stand on the street. And much of my book is about um, the concept of like a literary device, the, the idea of the flaneur, the person who wanders the city, wanders the streets. Um, without gaping but kind of gazing on the on the fringe of the crowd observing mm-hmm. rather than being kind of swept up in the crowd and a lot of this a lot of my my writing is about this push and pull um of specifically about the protests of there's a pull for me to get involved and into the protests but I'm trying to maintain my distance so yeah. I can so I can report and so sure. that's the yeah. flickering of reportage and mm. memoir and and criticism that I try to kind of it's life. very difficult to people watch in Istanbul unless you're indoors mm-hmm. and looking at them through a window, isn't yeah. it? 
there, yeah. yeah there were, I I was sort of thinking about this yesterday. Istanbul reminds me very much of uh, northern Italian cities, but mm-hmm. without the uh, without the piazzas, there mm-hmm. is no there is no place to gather, is mm-hmm. it? Um, and I've been very shocked. There's no mm-hmm. parks anywhere. Mm-hmm. It was just some tiny yeah. park. They wouldn't mm-hmm. be considered parks in mm-hmm. in Britain, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's a very good point actually. You do feel like perhaps that's what people find oppressive is that they mm-hmm. constantly feel like they have to move. Yeah, everyone's and, part yeah. of the part of the stream. Yeah, even I think, and I think this is particularly disruptive because it's a part of Turkish or Middle Eastern or different idea to what perhaps we experience in Britain or Australia, which is time. Time as a concept is different, mm-hmm. and so um, I I've got a strong sense that um, people feel very disrupted by the changes here. Um, you know, you can't kind of loiter outside like you perhaps once would have here. Mm-hmm. I think you get shifted indoors to play cards or drink tea or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, by uh, under threat of a huge water cannon. It's crazy <laughs> over here. Well, anyway, <laughs> we're going to go for a, a third and final reading. Okay. Thank you. To be honest, the watermelon was beginning to weigh me down. I came across some kids trying to kick a soccer ball through a window. They seemed like twins, must have been only five or six years old. One was the kicker, very serious about his craft, while the other retrieved the ball and giggled a lot. The kicker had this unbelievable kick on him, holding the ball up high around his head before flinging it down onto his foot, generating an enormous ballistic force. Each time they failed to get it in the window, the ball crashed back to earth, flinging a seismic ripple up their spines. They seemed content to fail, succeeding would have likely ended the game. Yet the end came before success. The giggler twin threw back his head and held his hands up to the sky as the ball plummeted back from a collision with glass. It was like an eclipse darkening his world. He closed his eyes just before impact, then felled like a, then was felled like a demolition job. Ali, Ali, his twin yelled. I rushed over, still carrying my watermelon, to help. Blood streamed from his tiny nose and birds circled his head. Ali, Ali, I said to Ali, are you all right? He was conscious but dazed, and we stemmed the blood with an entire pocket packet of tissues. Their grandmother emerged from the building with a bottle of lemon flower cologne, that legendary all-purpose Turkish tonic, and splashed some over his face, patted his forehead, and waved the bottle under his nose and told him to sniff. I carried Ali up the stairs, hesitating at the door, because I couldn't kick my shoes off, and I knew grandma would be concerned about that. She told me it was okay and then proceeded to follow me through her place with a mop, more concerned with the clean floor than the wounded child. I laid Ali on the couch. She covered it with a blanket first. He recovered quickly, making known his desire to go out and play again. Must have been the cologne. But Grandma said no, no more playing. I finally introduced myself and promptly took my shoes off. She took them from my hands. Then I stood there wondering whether to sit. She finally offered. I refused. I had to go. I pleaded. She relented. The apartment so immaculately clean, me in contrast, incredibly dirty. I should have poured cologne all over me. That would have helped. In all the commotion, the ball had been lost, but my, mo- but my watermelon remained on the street. The kicker brother, Erkan his name was, wanted, of course, to keep kicking, but I wouldn't allow him to kick, kick my melon despite his pleas. Abi, Abi, Karpuz. There was a strong desire in young males here towards kicking and general destruction. Give them Lego and they'll build, I thought. Give them a complete form and they'll deface and obliterate it. 
Where could I find another ball for them? I thought to ask Grandma if Erkan could come with me to a shop to get another one, but I sensed she'd refused. My watermelon and I climbed back onto the tram. Soon we passed the store with some soccer balls outside. I got off at the next stop, bought a ball and leapt back onto the tram heading towards Grandma's. Now I had a watermelon in one arm and a soccer ball in another and eyeballs lingering on me. When I got to the front door, I didn't know what number to press to be let in. I couldn't remember whether it was a second or third floor. I guess second, pressed five, no response. I pressed six and had no luck either. The lady didn't have a clue what I was trying to say. Then I came up with a terrible idea that I liked very much at the time. I just kicked the ball up through the window, brilliant. I went across the street and like the kids, salivated over the open window, perfect. I put the melon down, took a breath, saw in my mind's eye the ball sailing through the window, took another breath and kicked it right through into the apartment. Yes. My triumph was fleeting though. There was a crash, a scream, some more noise. A man came yelling to the window. He was not the grandmother. I ran off toward the tram. On the tram, there were these three Kurdish girls begging. They slunk around the cabin with wild elegance in their green eyes, wearing these incredible colorful silks. I couldn't help but watch them. They were magnetic. But the moment they saw you, you were in for it. So I looked down. Abi, Abi. A fat woman sat beside me with her breasts cascading onto her knees and yelled at the girls. Go back to your country. You're nothing but dirt. You're all bringing Turkey down, down. An anger rose up within me. I turned towards her. Leave them alone. Maybe they've got no country. How do you know? The woman said. Neither do I, I said. You want me to go home too? Yes, she said. Go back to where you came from. Go away. I felt a strong pang of guilt about the window. In the panic, I'd abandoned my melon. <laughs> Thank you. I like it when people read stuff and I'm forced to try not to laugh. It's good. Um, we're going to end with a couple of questions. Uh, the first one is, what, um, if you could tell us uh, about any influences of your writing, uh, development as a writer. Uh, I guess I have many. Um, I think it starts probably start, it's very American, it's very US centric. Uh, and it starts with a lot of, uh, I guess, early mid 20th century writers, um, generally from migrant backgrounds. I didn't really realize that until a lot later, but um, people like John Fante and uh, Henry Miller and um, John Dos Passos and, and then Kerouac through to, uh, uh, later Hunter Thompson and uh, the new journalists and more recently uh, someone like Ben Lerner um, generally writing from the first person yeah and um, very much grounded in in place I was gonna say uh, the, the the era that you just uh, spoke about as you've read it's I've they, they, they were the writers that sort of pictured in my head the first person storytelling of mm-hmm. detail mm-hmm. small details about um, mm-hmm. and it goes back to that idea of, I know I suppose of just wandering mm-hmm. and trying to capture everything mm-hmm. uh, even even if it's a futile uh, experience or you know yeah. an attempt to try to capture everything mm-hmm. you yeah that, that idea of wandering around just trying to see Every, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the speed of life around you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the final question is, uh, if uh, what 
would you recommend to our listeners to check out or watch or listen to? This doesn't have to be literature based. It can okay. Be, uh, uh, I would say I've just completed a, a book called Reality Hunger by David Shields, mm. and it's a, a manifesto, uh, in a sense, on the on the novel. And I know that we're always talking about the novel and um, also about poetry and other literary forms and where they sh- where they should go and how they can stay relevant and or uh, become relevant again. Um, and I think. Uh, he he says a lot of great things. He he argues for he argues for the boundaries of fiction and nonfiction to collapse. And I think for the poet, that's a more familiar concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but for fiction and the novelist, that's uh, uh, you know still very much a topic of debate. And um, yeah, go and go and check that out. Uh, I've just also went went online and bought a whole bunch of books that he recommends and refers to in that book and I think that's a good sign I'm doing as he says yes yeah mm. um, it's definitely uh, important to disregard any free fault and just follow orders I find, I, yeah, especially yeah. in Turkey you just have to because the, there's no point trying to uh, think for yourself here, no because you'll just end up uh, war no, cannons no, or something not at all <laughs> no. or on the run as we are <laughs> yeah um, so take everything I say with a grain of salt yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thank you Ender Um, We're going to have any uh, blogs or websites or anything, uh, any places where our listeners can check you out. We'll list those in the the description of the video because they often get lost in uh, speech on here because I make a mess of saying them. But thank you, Ender. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. It's been great meeting you. Thank Um, you. Thanks very much. And you got...